Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Best Deal episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about to make the legendary best deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person executing it. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor possible. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal-Smith, the owner of Royal Legal Solutions, your one-stop shop for everything business legal and tax for real estate investors. I'm here with uh, Matt Faircloth today. We just had a great discussion off air um, about all the cool deals that he's putting together. And I think today we're going to be talking about a best deal. So if you don't know about Matt, um, he's an overall phenom in the world of real estate for bigger <laughs> pockets and around. We've shot a couple of videos together uh, while we've been traveling around to different conferences and whatnot. So um, I can vouch for him as a guy that uh, is a phenomenal human being and just a hell of a lot of fun to be with. So Matt, thanks for coming on the show today. And, um, what does what everybody, do you think everybody needs to know about you to kind of set the stage for this best deal that we're going to be talking about? Oh, oh yeah. Um, I'm the luckiest man ever. No, no, it's, a, <laughs> um, let's see that, uh, we are aware that, not, that that doing the best deal also has to do with being in the right place at the right time. That, I, that I'd, I'd like to, um, I'm, I'm humble enough to understand that there are forces that are outside of my control that govern the best deal. And I'd like to be able to pound my chest and say, I made that deal, I made it happen, um, and everything like that. But, but we, we, we also um, are also understanding that there are forces outside of our control. And if we understand and acknowledge and know what they are, then we're able to capitalize on them. And, and that's, so I'm, I'm not a big ego real estate guy. There's plenty of, there's enough of that. There's enough ego in the real estate world. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm not one, I'm not one of those. I do understand um, that, that, uh, that I was able to kind of catch the wind on those, on the two deals that I can talk to you about. Yeah, I think that like, that's pretty common, right? When you're talking about mm -hmm. things that are really exceptional, um, it has to do, I find like with like two different things. One is it, did we have the right systems processes and know-how? That's called being prepared. And then mm -hmm. there's the opportunity. How lucky did we get with everything yes. else that's going on? So we can't really control the luck side of things, you know? All we can really control is like the preparedness that happens with that. And so how, how do you, at least that's my understanding. I mean, I don't know if you can control the luck. But is no, that typically right, the way you right, look at it? Control luck is by is by reading the tea leaves and, and using the the best crystal ball you got to figure out what things are going to happen. And sometimes sometimes over here and again you get it right, you yeah. know. Um, and that so uh, so that's I, we just predicted a market was going to do something and it did and you know darned if we were right, <laughs> you know it, it did what we thought that the market did what we thought it was going to do and so that created success for us. So. Is, is one of the keys to your success, Matt, and with having like a lot of these great deals is also knowing, you know, um, how to cut losses when you get, because you can be prepared, right? Timing or other circumstances go wrong. And I think maybe, um, maybe some people are like, you know, they get out too early or they get out too late. What's your philosophy on that? Because um, I, I hear a, a lot of different pieces. Guy. I'm not a cut loss. I have rarely gotten a project halfway finished and just said, screw it. Let me just dump it. Um, I, I've always finished what I've started. And I, you know, for me, that's just an integrity thing, but I, I've, I've finished them at cost. I've even, I've finished a few projects at a loss. I mean, just, you know, cause I guess I could have dumped them, but I would have burned somebody. I would have burned the private lender that had the money on the deal. I would have burned the contractor I had an agreement with. I would have burned the people that believed in us to, that they were going to get to ride the train to fruition. And so I've, um, I've always finished what we've started. I'm, I, I can't think of a time we didn't. 
Um, but we, um, well, I've, I've finished stuff at a loss um, just to get out. I mean, just to, just to get it done. Obviously, at that point, you start minimizing expenses and doing and watching every nickel and dime to get it done, um, and that. So, I, as opposed to cutting losses, I, I've just, you know, you know, kind of taken my medicine and held my nose, and you know, and say, okay, let's just get it over with, and you know, get my equity back, and and you know, dust myself off and on to the next one. So. Cool, man. I, I was wondering with that, you know, when you, when you look at uh, a lot of the syndication world right now, there's, a, there's people I see, like I see all kinds of crazy syndications that'll come up where I'm like, there's no way people should be getting into these deals. Like this is a really bad agreement. Like the, you never have any, this guy, you know, you're, you're investing money into stuff that you have no track record of, of who these people are, who the other there's investors are. There's syndicators in right now. There's that, brand new people getting yeah. into the syndication business in 2019 when this thing's had a nine year run, right? That are, that are just, that are quitting their day job as a financial planner to do a real estate syndication. I mean, it's a little scary on the amount of hands that are in this thing right now. What do you, what do you look for? Um, and what do you recommend that people look for to be able to find people that are really quality syndicators? Like one of the things that you just mentioned earlier was about, you know, I'll take something and I'll, you know, if I have to take my medicine and stick through a project and lose money on it, I got to because I'm not willing to burn people. So yeah. I, and something like that I would say, okay, well, that means like not, flag number one is, you know, kit, have you talked to the other investors that, that work and how long have they been working with this syndicator and what's yeah. their experience with that guy been like? What are the things that are kind of like that? If, if that's one of them and, and what are the other things that people should look for when they're trying to vet a syndicator? So I think that, I mean, it's funny, man. Uh, investors ask them, a lot of times they ask me the wrong questions. Like their favorite question is like, how much money are you putting in, you know, into, into the deal? And I mean, like, it's got very little to do with it actually, because the because they won't realize the syndicator has way more skin into it than their own cash. Um, they may be putting their own cash in, but that's actually a footnote versus what the skin, the syndicator actually has at risk, you know? Um, so I think that they should be looking at how long the syndicator has been in business, how deep is their team, um, because syndication is by far from being a one-person operation. Um, what markets are they shopping in? Why are those markets great? What contacts do they have in the markets that they're shopping in? What homework have they done? What data are they using in, in analyzing opportunities? Um, you know, are they just looking at a deal and, hey, this is a great IRR? You're like, okay, great, because I can, I can take any deal you give me and make it look good on paper. But the, the, what really matters is the data that's behind the deal. And, and so it's really about how did that syndicator arrive at the data that they're using to present to that offer, offeree, you know? Um, those are factors to ask. Um, I think I already said how long they've been in business. I mean, you gotta you got get started at some time. So the syndicator got started six months ago, it's okay. But how, what's the, what's the global experience of their team? Um, I'm, I've been doing this for a while. I, I've got started in 2005 in real estate, in the real estate business. But um, there's people that got started last year, the year before, but I would want to see some seniority on their team. Like, is their asset manager, you know, versed in the space? Is their, is their property manager versed? You know, I, I would want to look at the collective experience that they really have in the real estate business before I um, would invest. I think, um, oh, one, one, I touched on this about, about working the numbers, right? So a syndicator can approach one of your clients or somebody out there that's listening and say, Hey, I've got a 19% return deal. I would want to like unpack the internal rate of return that the syndicator is proposing that they're going to get. Okay. 
how much of that return is based on the resale of the property? Because I've seen deals that were on like let's I won't use a real name, but like on the crowdfunding portals, the online, you know, I won't tell you which one, but it was on one of those portals. Um, and it was like an 18, 19, maybe even a 20% return. And one of my investors was was presenting my deal against it. And said, like, well, you got to be able to get to this 20% return that this deal said he's gonna get. I unpacked that return and like 75% of the profit that that syndicator was proposing was based on the resale of the property. Okay. The cash flow was very, very zilcho. It was like six, 7% in cash flow, but they, they were just magically going to investors were going to magically double their money on the resale of the property. I'd be, I would, I think the, the most, given how high the market's gone, some syndicators to make a deal work have to show a big number on the out sale. Um, and that's, and that should be scary to investors because that's probably the biggest unknown that we're dealing with in today's market space. Cause nobody knows what, what's going to happen in the future. And a lot of things are going to take a dip in the future. So to bet on a huge win on the back end is, um, is a big, big risk. So very cool, man. I know I just give you a bunch right there, but that's, those are the factors for, for vetting syndicators. Yeah, no, it's all great stuff. And, and what we do with all these shows too is we'll have a produce a transcript of it. Um, mm -hmm. So it'll be in there. So if anybody's listening to it, if you if you go to the royallegalsolutions.com webpage and listen to this podcast, you'll have all of those things that Matt just listed. It'll be in the transcript um, from the uh, from the show because that's a lot of really good check the list stuff. Like, did you look at this? Mm -hmm. Did you look at this? Did you look at this? Yeah. And I'm going to bet that a lot of these things that you're um, – they were talking that as part of your list of like, here's what you'd lose to like vet a good syndicator. And that are probably a lot of the things that you're thinking about whenever you're coming up with like, what is it that makes a great, a best deal or a great mm -hmm. deal is because you're looking at all of those factors. Is that fair to say? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what makes it, I mean, it, it all kind of bakes together and makes it a good deal. I mean, it's about um, if you're vetting it, I'll, I'll give it to you in, in 10 seconds. If you're vetting a deal and you look at the team, the the plan that they're going to use to, to to implement the property and then the market itself the sub market the property's in because there are there are wins that are outside of that syndicator's control and if they're investing in a market that has good momentum they're going to ride the wave they might take they might you know claim that as, as part of their success and let it go to their head but a lot of reasons the property might go up in value or be successful in general is because they picked the right market um and that so uh, th those things the, the market the plan and the team if those three things are a good equation then you should be okay what are the you know the, typically we talk about with investors about needing like a like a three-person team that you need a cpa an attorney and then you need a deal maker as like the three legs of a stool of who makes the team of uh, for real estate investing is yeah. that is also hold true for syndicators that those are the, the three people people? something else but you know but <laughs> like a son of a you know what you know like, <laughs> who's willing to uh you know you, you got to have a pit bull that you can throw at people on your team and the attorney typically sits in that seat um so yeah the deal maker is like a visionary um the syndicated the syndication team is a little different i just find that 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 three-pronged equation works really well in business because you need someone that's able to monitor the books you need someone who is willing to have the vision and the team and the big thinker and you need someone who's willing to keep everybody in line and crack a whip on somebody if they have to and typically they sit in the seats you listed but on syndications it breaks down a little differently i call it um 
I needed to have those personalities on the team somehow, but on a syndication, you got three things as well. They are the person that finds the deal. I call them the hunter. And then the person that analyzes the deal and writes up the business plan on how the properties are going to be successful. Um, that is called, the, I call it the brain. And then there's a, the person that raises the money, raises the equity, assembles the bank financing, and puts together anything involving a dollar sign, is that, and that's called the money. Um, the hunter is the one that identifies the market, identifies the property, uses relationships to shake it loose and brings the deal to closing. The brain is the one that analyzes it and makes sure that it's kosher and makes sure that the numbers work and also holds the property manager accountable to implementing the business plan that they wrote. And the money is the one that, that's the networker that's got the relationships and everything like that. So those are the three people. But it doesn't discount what you said. It, those personalities need to exist among those three as well. Cool. Yeah, because those are like um, specific to what, how does the, typically when we're talking about like if you have a single family home, there's one deal maker like that comes mm -hmm. into there. So that's, that's the person that's going to be the hunter, the brain. And typically they're also the money. Yeah, right. They can wear all three hats. A single family home, typically you see people that invest on this. I, I know a lot of lone wolves that are on small property that, that are doing, I, I got a buddy who owns like 130 units and he runs the whole thing by himself. You know, yeah. like keeps his own books. He's got maintenance people and stuff like that, but he is the one decision maker. Um, I know nobody that owns like in the thousand unit range or in the bigger multifamily range that's operating by themselves. There's just too many things going on. And, and you need to have checks and balances in, in bigger real estate business. Absolutely. Well, um, when we talk about the, uh, you know, our best deal um, today, Matt, I was wondering, uh, can, how do you feel about uh, if we kind of set the stage for like what that deal is and then um, we can talk through on, on what is it that came in through your the, the key aspects that you think of like what that make that what made that deal work really well like maybe the particular like the alignment of the hunter the brain and the money that we say we line leads these things up and that's what actually led this to this best deal or so we can kind of get mm -hmm. a feel for like what's the recipe of like a best deal feel like and look like while you're kind of walking through it. So sure. what sure. do you think like, well, let's start with like maybe like a 10,000 foot overlook of like, what is the actual deal itself? So we can okay. kind of know. The the deal, well, yeah, the deal itself, and it don't have anything to do with what we talked about already, but the deal itself was a um, 18 unit building in Northeast Philadelphia um, that, uh, that we bought. It was a little lot, I mean, it was a stretch for us. So I, I think that that was one equation to a win is that we were willing to take what we had learned in a more comfortable market and we were able to expand a little bit. Um, so it was a very reasonable expansion. It was about twice, it, it was double the size of the property of the, um, we owned a 10 unit and it was, and buying that 18 was a double up in, in, in what we had bought before. It wasn't a double up in our portfolio. We had several hundred units behind it, but it was all those were all smaller properties. Um, the 18 was a bigger was a, was a, our first foray into larger multifamily. In that, so it was close enough to home that I could manage it with our existing team, and so, but it was in another state, and so we had a headquarters in Trenton, New Jersey. Um, and we managed everything ourselves with my own management team out of Trenton. Um, and I sat down with my maintenance coordinator and we figured out that we could manage a property in Philly with the right implementation, the right court, the right rules. Um, and so we decided to do it. So it wasn't a big stretch, but it was still a stretch. And I think that one way to win in business or to create success is to take reasonable, calculated risks. Um, and calculated stretches of yourself and of your business. Now, have we decided to manage a property with our own team in Albuquerque, New Mexico? 
probably wouldn't have worked out so well because that would have been too big of a stretch. But we were able to stretch just, you know, 45 minutes from our office. We'll figure that out. So, um, so you're, saying, you're saying like we can stretch to a new asset class, which typically is where I, I get a lot of people that turns into their worst deals. It's because like, ah, I swam outside my lane, right? And this is where I got burned with it. Um, so, so you're trying to say it's like, we need to know how big to stretch, right? Like that's yeah. the- that's You got to stretch, but, but reasonably, right? And I think that I'm not saying get outside your lane. I'm saying that like, like if I, if this is, if I were to go get into mobile home parks or something like that, or start buying um, self storage without proper research and the proper team, that's when you get outside your lane. That's when you're probably going to lose. Um, Cause we're not, I'm not in those worlds right now, but I am in multifamily and I have been for a very long time um, in that. So us uh, getting into an 18 unit was not a stretch. Uh, th that was not a stretch. Nothing about it was a stretch. Just certain things need to be in your wheelhouse, but it's okay for there to be other stretches, like a stretch on price, stretch on geography. It's some, some stretches and some familiarities are okay, um, to, to your point. Okay. So, yeah. so when we're looking at, you know, because there's probably like three different ways we could stretch here just to kind of uh, push, pushing into like, how are we going to find that deal? You know, how are we actually going to know what to do with that deal if we find it? And then can we actually fundraise to get into that deal and make sure we have mm -hmm. enough cash that comes into it? Um, which of those things are things that you can typically find out uh, on your own, just from searching for bigger pockets and reading books? Um, mm -hmm. and, the, and the what aspects of those come into saying like, you know what, you really need a person that's done a bunch of these deals before to fill yeah. in this section of the gaps because you can't read that in the books. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was all, it was all things we had done before on a smaller scale. And, and had we, you know, go back to my example, if we were buying a self-storage center, um, even if it was under my nose, I probably would have gone to bigger pockets and found somebody or I'd read a bunch of articles on it and gotten familiar with the space first. Um, but also most importantly, brought in the right team to help me close on a mobile home park or on a self-storage center or whatever. We were qualified to buy an 18 unit building. It's just the one thing that stretched us was geography. And I got in with my team to make sure that we could handle it as a stretch um, geographically. And then could we raise the money? Well, okay, it's the largest raise we've ever done. So let's try it. Let's stretch out and see what we can do. Um, and, and so but it, was all, it was all things we had done before just on a larger capacity. Okay. so so. Uh, one of the things that I think that I'm picking up from listening to you about this is saying like, yeah, it's cool if you're going to stretch, but like stretch and as similar to something that you've done before, right? Yeah. Like don't stretch like totally yeah. new, you know, yeah. like just one little incremental piece. Like you did nine units, let's do 18. You know, if we need to do a half million dollar raise. Let's do a million dollar raise. Not, yeah. a, not from a half million to 10 million. You know, and if you're going to do piece. something brand new that you've never tried before, um, you know, well, like investing in a new space or whatever it is, then then do it on a smaller scale with somebody else. Try somebody else you trust, um, either partnering with you or driving the bus themselves. You know, so maybe that means like invest passively in a mobile home park deal or invest passively in a uh, self storage center deal or whatever, so you can learn the process first and then scale up quickly from there. But the stretch was taking something we'd already done and just doing it bigger. Very cool. So, so you get into this deal um, thinking like, okay, we're going to take this stretch. We're going to uh, raise the money for it. Um, yeah. And then, so what is that like? You know, is that deal pretty smooth to close on uh, for you guys? Or did like being a stretch give you guys a couple of 
Nothing smooth. <laughs> nothing smooth. You know, I mean, there's always hiccups. There's always curveballs. You guys should be prepared for them. Um, it was my fifth uh, fundraising activity, so my fifth syndication, um, and that's we had, we had raised on smaller stuff before. We got started raising money on super small stuff. My first raise was for fifty grand. It was my it was my first investor deal. Um, this one, this particular deal, was five hundred. It was my fifth one, so we grew up to it, right? Um, and and everything. So that so so yeah, it was that part of the syndication. The bumps in the road were getting qualified for financing for the size of a deal. The property was 50% vacant, so getting a bank to be okay with, with a 50% occupied property. Um, and in that, so the, those were all the, um, the, the caveats and question marks. Learning the landlording rules in a new market, because we were not in uh, Philadelphia uh, up until then, and we had an eviction like right after closing. So we had to make sure that we understood the landlording rules going into closing, so that we could hire the right attorney and and abide by the right rules to evict. So, so you guys had to learn the rules because you were doing self management too, right? Mm-hmm. Of the property. So then, yeah. so it's like okay, we're going to be property managers in a new market. So that's like yeah. a whole different level of complexity, and then having to have. Was it, did you have to get whole new banking contacts to be able to find the right bank to be able to fund it? Yeah, because the, um, the banks we had dealt with on uh, up until then were guys that were gonna, there were banks that were gonna deal like, you know, small scattered sites. So we bought a lot of scattered site property up until then. Like, you know, let me go and assemble 10, 15 units at a clip and then refinance them all and everything like that. So we were, um, we were just doing different activity. We were in the same space, but just doing it, operating a little different. Because as you expand into multifamily, as your listeners you know, may already know, um, there's certain lenders that have a certain affinity for mid-sized multifamily. So we had to get to know those lenders. Um, and to get to know the lenders that are really comfortable in that space. Most small community banks that wanted to lend to us on properties like this wanted a personal guarantee. We happen to know that in getting into different banks that are really have a strong affinity for multifamily would be fine with non-recourse. Um, but meaning there's no personal guarantee associated with it. So um, we need to get familiar with those lenders as well. Very cool. So, so you go through the, the deal here, you guys close on it, you're, figure, you're troubleshooting um, the legal aspects and trying to get up to speed on what do we need to do with, um, with being a new landlord in a new area. You're figuring mm-hmm. out new banking contacts, all to be able to close on this while you're raising more money than you've ever raised before. So it's actually like a pretty big effort. I mean, it sounds mm-hmm. like a stretch in a, a number of different areas. Yeah. Um, how, when, did the, when did you know that this was gonna be a great deal um, for you guys? Was, did you find, was that the, what, the impetus to jump into the new area? Was he's like, wow, this looks great on paper. We gotta get into it. Or is it something you found out halfway through like, oh, this is gonna be even better than we thought? No, we knew it worked on. I, I didn't think it was gonna be a slam dunk smack out of the park when we got in. I knew it was gonna make money and be a good get behind the wheel and get this place leased and do a good rental property and everything like that. Um, and, and everything like and, and everything. When I started to see, I get it was in Philadelphia. Um, when I started to see what was happening in the, on the global markets in Philadelphia around this property, I realized that we had gotten in early in a very big successful market um, in that because the property was making money. It was cash flowing. It was doing well. Um, but we were able to raise rents to whatever we wanted to be because, the, the, you know, people want, more people were moving there. So we, when we saw the frenzy for tenants and buyers to get into Philly, 
we realized we had something special. And the you know, guy bought a couple of pro bought a couple of homes across the street, tore them down, was building new construction across the street from our apartment building. Um, so that was a big, I mean, that was a big sign as well. So um, we just saw things going up and up like this and I realized that we were onto something. And so I decided to at least test the market to see what we could get for it. And so we were in tandem pursuing refinancing the property and pursuing selling the property. We ended up choosing to sell it. Can you tell, tell me more about um, with the importance of approaching things in tandem and why you guys mm -hmm. do that? Well, you gotta have outs. You gotta have, uh, I think that it's always important is when, when you're facing, at some point you gotta do a gut check, go, no, go, if you're gonna buy something. But when it comes time, when you already control the asset and it comes time to like, let me, this is assuming you're all working with investors because we, most of our work with is, is with investors. So the question I always have is, what's the best for my investors? What's the best return I can give them? And so I have a building in North Carolina, we're gonna be doing the same thing on, where we're, at a, we're going to be at a crossroads and it's like, do I refinance it? Do I sell? And so the, the, the question will always flow back to what is the best benefit that I can give my investors in any, at a given time? What's the, what, how can I outperform their expectations? So um, that's why I try and pursue multiple um, options at a given time. At some point, it'll just start to make sense. Even my property in North Carolina, I kind of know what I think I'm going to do, but I want to at least run with both, both horses for a little bit just to make sure that option A isn't actually better than option B, which I think I'm going to do. Very cool. I, I think that's one of the things that I see like what, what really successful real estate investors do time and time again is that they're always creating um, options, choices that they get yeah. to make. But yeah. I think one of the things that that's what really separates people that do consistently really well over time and people that I see that don't really uh, they make it lucky like a few times or make money, but then they have like big ups and downs. Um, it's because it actually takes a ton of work to create options and a lot of yeah. them don't make you any money. And so it can feel like, why am I working my ass off to be able to create all these options when it's like, ah, oh, if I just, you know, I could just probably just ride this out and sell it or, or whatever. But I think that it's necessary or at least to be able to consistently make money because when the unexpected happens, you already have something in play. So you're not yeah. stuck behind the eight ball. Has that been your experience? I think so. I think so. I mean, it, it's also about um, just being able to constantly monitor. I mean, there are so many variables. There's so many things in play um, and so many things change so quickly. And I think that it's good to have a few options lined up when you're going to make a decision on, you know, what to do with an asset you already have, because, you know, things may you know like the rates may shift a little bit or some bank may show really a strong interest on the refinance you're going to do and they're going to give you really great terms or um whatever it is so i think that just having a few options allows you to respond to what to to all the variables that are there in, in things and, and you can just kind of keep it fluid very cool man well I, I like to end every episode with like a, a lesson learned um, from it today, something to leave the listeners with. And one of the things that I learned from um, hanging out with you today, Matt, was about uh, two things, which is uh, one, it's when you're going to be doing a stretch into a new area, it's a stretch almost like as little as you have to, to go into it. Um, and, mm. and then find out, you know, uh, things that are similar to what you did before, because that's going to be the most likely thing to be able to stretch into and be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, and then something else that I'm, I'm really sticking with me is, as about like needing to do the extra hard work uh, to be able to, to create the options and create the outs, um, when it comes up. 
And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I haven't looked at it before and, and talked to all the, the people that I'm investing right now that I have my syndication deals with. Uh, but that's going to be a question I think I'm going to start getting, getting a myth is like, how many options do we have that you've already generated, you know, right. and, and starting to grow them with that and find out like, are you actually doing all the hard work you really need to? Cause I think I've well, actually started to, to coast a little bit. I'm being like, ah, oh, you've given me money time and time again, you know, it's probably just going to be fine. Um, but that's probably the hard work I need to do as an investor is being like, okay, I need to ask them like, what options are they doing for all these things? And are they really still It's important to say what's plan B, you know, what's plan B and C, you know, um, anytime you're in, in any situation, just well, what are the few options we can consider here? And I get like 95% chance we're going to do plan A. I get that. And that's normally how it goes. But just in case, what's our backups? Very cool. And when you, when you, if you were going to leave the listeners with um, a lesson learned today or something for them to just under, underline and underscore of, you know, this is what you should walk away um, with from this episode with, what would that be? Um, I, I'll sum up what you said earlier about the comfort zone thing um, or about stretching. I, I would stretch to the very edge of your comfort zone, but not beyond it, you know, and, and, ma and make sure that you're not, because if you go beyond that, what you're really doing is you're gambling you know, um, versus, and there's a fine line between taking risk and gambling, you know, um, and, and I think that we don't discuss just speculation enough on what's real risk-taking, calculated risk-taking versus just gambling, gambling and speculation. And sometimes you win, um, or I, but an up market will make a gambler and a speculator look like a genius, you know, Absolutely. in an up market, you yeah. know. Well, I think that's one of the things that I really like about the work that you do, Matt, is that you work a lot with people that um, invest money with you, but you have a huge education component uh, for your investors you. about like, the deals. Um, and the reason I, th I think that's so valuable is because Ed, that's where you can learn as an investor where the comfort zone needs to be, right? There, there's, there's something people do where they just throw money at a crowdfunding site, right? And then that's, that's gambling in a lot of contexts of it, right? Mm -hmm. And then it becomes less gambling the more you know uh, yourself. And then it's even less gambling with what the other person can teach you um, about how the actual pieces work. And those are um, levels of value that you give the people that invest with you um, that are mm -hmm. above and beyond what they're actually getting from the dollars is the education yeah. component that comes with it of like, what mm -hmm. should this feel like? And what should it look like? And a lot of times, uh, those are hugely expensive because if you don't have the education, you'll can lose money and that's really hard to come back from. So, or you have to give a ton of your money away to a partner because they've done that deal before. So what you're doing with people is giving them a return and being like, and by the way, I'm going to give you this huge value added education on top of it. I mean, that's just huge. I mean, I bet people swarm to you because of that. Yeah, well, I hope they swarm. You know, I mean, we we do we we we've done well because we're willing to be transparent and everything like that. And then you know we're very blessed and lucky. And I hope they continue to come to us to learn and, and to invest and get great returns and everything like that. Because we try and run a transparent organization where people know exactly what's going on with their capital and everything like that. So very um, cool, man. I yeah. love it, man. So Thank for you. everybody that's looking to, to get in touch with you, um, I know you got some deals that are coming up and you got deals mm -hmm. coming up all the time. Yeah. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? 
DerosaGroup.com, D-E-R-O-S-A-G-R-O-U-P.com. You can go to DerosaGroup.com and sign up for my newsletter. Uh, you can also, uh, you know, as you guys know, Scott and I are very active on Bigger Pockets, so you can get a hold of me on BiggerPockets.com. Um, look me up there. I teach webinars for them. I'm posting videos for them pretty regularly, and I obviously have a profile there, so uh, they can get a hold of us at one of those two outlets. That's awesome, Matt. Thanks so much for coming on the show here today. And um, everybody, this is the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith, the owner of Royal Legal Solutions. Look forward to uh, connecting with you guys here soon. Uh, make sure to check out the website. Uh, right now, we're doing a free LLC promotion uh, for everybody. If it's your first company that um, you're ever looking to set up with that, uh, we set it up for you. It's from the law firm. We're going to take care of everything for you. The only thing that you pay is the hard costs and the filing fees with that, guys. So uh, we're on a mission to get every single person in the United States of America protected. Uh, with an LLC. And uh, we got that. We make that as easy as possible uh, for every single person. So if you haven't signed up for that yet, uh, make sure you do that. That's royallegalsolutions.com slash free LLC. That's all for this best deal episode. And I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith with the Real Estate Nerds podcast. When investments go good, they can go great. Your legendary best deal could be your next one. So keep at it. Thank you for joining us, and if you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in those sleeping masses for what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day, and I'll see you again soon.